Even if you're a cat person, I bet you can't help but smile when you see a guide dog and its owner walking down the street. But did you know just how much effort and how many helping hands it takes to get the pair to that stage? Join us as we visit with Jacob Krisovich once again, and he talks about guide dogs, what it takes to get a guide dog, and his journey. I'm your host, Jennifer Vansicle, longtime healthcare worker turned health educator. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Health in the 406. I would have stepped out and I wouldn't have been killed. It was just a bicycle, but it would have hurt a lot. And I told Fife forward and he started to go forward and then hit the brakes and stopped. Totally saved me from getting nailed by that bike. I would love to visit more about Fife. So I understand Fife is an Oregonian. Mm-hmm. He is. From Oregon. <laughs> yeah. And um, so can you tell us how you, what the process was? Did your wife sit down and fill out an application online or yeah. how did this all get started? I know you had somebody from Great Falls come down, but tell us about um, jumping into the guide dog world. Yeah, for sure. So first and foremost, before you get a guide dog, you have to be excellent with your white cane. Um, if you don't have, and, and they, in that world, they call it again, they call it orientation and mobility skills. Um, they abbreviate it as O&M. So if you hear somebody saying O&M, that's what they're talking about. But your O&M skills, which I'm just going to say going forward because it's a lot easier than saying orientation sometimes. <laughs> your O&M skills have to be just really strong um, because the reason behind that is, again, your guide dog unless it's a route that they've been doing um, a couple times and every guide dog's different. Like if I show him once and he's just ridiculous, like he could find the elevator right now, but he, he's not flawless. And so, and especially if somewhere you haven't gone before again, he doesn't have a built in GPS. So I need to know where to go and I need to be able to maintain my sense of orientation. Like I need to know, you know, I'm still facing forward. I'm walking in a straight line, which is the hardest thing at first is keeping yourself walking in a straight direction and not to get turned around. You know, you, you know, when you're coming up to a street, you can tell by traffic things like that's another big part is you have to be able to read traffic flow. So when you walk up to an intersection, you need to be able to know when it's safe to cross. Mm. Um, so you have to be able to do that with your white cane independently before they'll give you a guide dog. So like, you know, I had to, you know, and you have to be able to do it on smaller residential streets, but also large busy streets. So like I had to be able to cross like Custer Avenue. Um, True test was crossing Monta Avenue. Um, I guess that's a really local reference, but you know, like a, one of the busiest streets in town, basically yeah. a four lane. Yeah. Busy street. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. Perfect. Yeah. And that's it. And, you have to be able to tra- cross at places that have a traffic light or just stop signs. Traffic lights can be tricky because um, in Montana, um, and I hope this is something that they'll eventually change, you as pedestrians share the the crossing time with the left turn lane. And that makes it tricky because people aren't always paying attention and you're not. It, depending on where they're at, it can be hard to tell if they're trying to turn, you know, starting to turn if they're on the far opposite side from you. So you learn all those things. And once you do that, then your instructor who teaches you orientation and mobility has to sign off on, yes, this person's good to get a guide dog. Because one, they want to make sure you're going to be safe. Two, they want to make sure that, you know, anybody who has a dog knows that they get sick. 
sometimes, you know, and if they get sick, they want to know that you're not just homebound. You know, if they get injured, they want to know that you can still get back. Like if your dog gets hurt on a route that you can still get somewhere safe. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyways, after all that, I, once my instructor said, yeah, you're good. I'll sign off on it, which was longer than I wanted it to be. (laughs) I did ask her at one point and she did tell me no, um, (laughs) which is not fun to hear. But anyways, after that, then the great thing is, so with internet and computers now, uh, if done properly, blind and visually impaired people can fill out forms for themselves. Um, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It just has to be done correctly. And it's another advocacy thing where state Montana is actually pretty good about it. Their forms are accessible, um, which is great. Accessible meaning I can fill it out start to finish by myself. If it requires a wet ink signature, then I need to print it off after that. I fill it out and get help signing it. But Guide Dogs for the Blind, which is the school that Fife came from, um, who has campuses in Oregon and California, their stuff is accessible. So I filled it out. I applied and first they do a phone interview with you because they're not just, they don't just give you a dog. You have to go through a whole process. They do a phone interview with you. They find out about your lifestyle because they want to make sure that um, these Guide dogs cost anywhere, depending on the school, anywhere between $50,000 and $70,000 to train. So that's a large price tag. So they want to make sure that it's being utilized properly. Um, so if you're somebody who their criteria is they want to know that you'll, you walk on average at least a half mile mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. Cause they want, don't want to just give out a dog that's not going to be used. Yeah. It's not yeah. that the idea is not to give you a pet. It's to give you. You know, an amazing companion, don't get me wrong, Fife is amazing as a companion, but also, first and foremost, a mobility tool, something to help you um, navigate situations. So, anyways, they do that. They do a home visit where um, I applied during COVID, so they weren't doing in-person visits. So, I did, like, a video recording of my house and had to show them my house to show them that my house is also appropriate. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see the yard. Um, things like that. And if you don't have a yard, if you're in an apartment, they obviously still work with you. They just want to know with what you're working with. And then they ask you questions like, okay, cool. Yes, you walk a half mile, but what's your lifestyle? Are you someone who only walks, not only, but are you someone who walks a half mile to a mile? Or are you somebody who goes and does, you know, four miles a day and goes hiking? And, you know, what do you do? Do you like to go a bunch of things outside? Do you live in a city? Cause it results in different kinds of dogs. So I did all that. I waited a year, um, which was hard and I finally got matched with Fife. So, which meant that I had to go to their campus. And the really great thing about guide dogs for the blind is they're fully charity based. So they're fully off of people's donations. There's no funding for them as of yet. Um, any of the guide dog schools, not just them, there's no grants or funding for them. It's, fully from people's own good hearts donating. They paid for my airfare over there. And then they paid for me to stay on their campus in Oregon for two weeks. Um, because you have to do two things there. You have to bond with your dog because they need a bond with you to work mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And they, they have that whole, they all, they have that completely mapped out to the point where you don't even realize you're doing it. Wow. Um, but it is really like scientific in their approach about how they get you so bonded with your dog. And then, and then you also are doing the training aspect because you don't know how to work a guide dog. There's hand commands, there's verbal commands, there's footwork because dogs 
obviously, you know, you, they learn words and such for commands, but a vast majority of the world with their own species is through nonverbal communication. Yeah, they bark, but they go off of body language and things like that. So with you, they actually perceive a lot more with your hand gestures and your footwork than they do verbal. So, um, so I had to learn all that. And yeah, it was a two week thing to take good care of you. And I didn't have to pay a single cent. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really, really cool. It is. It is. And, um, after you leave, you know, you have to pay for your food, but they will, um, they'll even pay for your vet care. Hmm. So, yeah. So would you recommend somebody, you know, I know, you know, on TV, I see another guide dog organization advertised maybe out of like the Southeastern U S and stuff. Would it be a good idea to just apply to a whole bunch of them and see mm-hmm. who you get in with, essentially? At or? This, yeah, at this point, honestly, I would pick, you know, the, the schools you like the best. Mm-hmm. Do your research because there's different schools that have different approaches. Um, I went for Guide Dogs for the Blind because, one, they were close. Uh-huh. Also, you know, yeah, Oregon doesn't get the crazy weather we have, but they have what are called puppy raisers. They're volunteers. They don't get paid. They get their puppies at six weeks and then they keep them till a little after a year. They are all over the yeah. Western part. So I knew yeah. that there was a chance I would get a dog that was raised somewhere where there was snow and mountains oh, that and makes things sense. like that. Yeah. I, so, um, yeah, I did my undergrad in Klamath Falls, Oregon, which mm-hmm. is right on the California border, South mm-hmm. Central. And yeah. we had several of those puppy raisers and yeah, yeah. those puppies were in every class yeah. and the dorms yeah. and yeah, through the snow and yeah. And everything. And yeah. Yeah. Very, so I went cool. with, I went with that because of my lifestyle and I'm really big into the outdoors. You know, even before I got five, I still went and did backpacking trips with my white cane. Albeit it was harder, yeah. but I did it. <laughs> and so you mentioned a different type of dog. So like, if you're not, maybe if you're like, no, I'm yes. not hiking in mountains and stuff. I just, I want to go to Walmart every now and then. Yeah. Um, you maybe wouldn't have gotten a lab. Maybe would yeah. they have given you a different breed? Do they assign breeds then according to your or... breeds and personalities? Okay. So even within the labs, there's some labs that are like a little bit more low energy. They're good with just going, hitting a couple stores and then sleeping. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. or they're better about navigating indoors than outdoors. Um, they're better about navigating crowded places which is where like the whole applying to different schools comes into play is picking one that suits you is that, you know, like there's a school seeing eye, which is in New York. They do their training in like New York city oh, and things yeah. like that. There's that makes sense. several schools on the East coast. Um, I knew outside of visiting and doing touristy things that I wasn't going to be doing big, crazy New York city type of things that I might go to, you know, I went to Orlando with my family this spring. Like I knew I was going to go to places like that, but I'm not, realistically going to be going to places like New York city, at least not regularly. So that's something to factor into your thing, but yeah, they have in different schools use different breeds. That's the other part too, to factor in guide dogs for the blind uses golden retrievers labs, and they have some golden doodles um, for people with allergies. Some other schools still use German shepherds. Uh, some schools use like guide dogs of the desert uses poodles. Oh, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So they use different breeds. So that's something to factor in. But um, they built up a waiting list because of COVID. So I would definitely recommend to applying to a bunch of different schools because you just don't know which one's going to get to you first. Right. And probably the one that's meant to be is the one that will get to you yes. and, and get you. And so when you were on your way out there, the school yeah. was already thinking, I'm thinking Fife. 
Yeah. I'm thinking five for Jacob. Yes. This, yeah. And so they're, they kind of had already pre-matched. Or when you got out there, were they like, no, maybe this other dog? Or- so that's, that's, that was one thing I learned during the process is they have a dog in mind for you, but they, they don't tell you mm. what, anything about your dog. And I was That's trying- like Christmas. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. It was seriously, <laughs> as an adult, it was like Christmas. Great comparison. It was killing me. And I tried like pleading and begging with the person telling me. So I was so excited. I tried tricking her into like at least saying a pronoun of some sort. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Like it was always like it or like the dog. <laughs> or, I was like, gosh darn it. I was like, what could you say? It's black or yellow. And, and the whole reason behind that is they have a dog in mind for you, but they, when you get there, there's multiple things that play into it. One, when you, before you go, they have you hop on a treadmill or use an app to track your walking speed. That's something I forgot to mention earlier. Every guide dog has different, different natural pace. Fife walks quite quickly. Some dogs walk a little bit more slowly. It just depends on, you know, your own natural pace. Um, some guide dog handlers I know that are older prefer a dog that's, you know, a little bit slower because it's more stable, you know? Um, so it's just about your approach. And when I, and it's weird, I did mine on a treadmill and it's a little bit strange because you, when you walk with a white cane, you walk slower. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. You walk slower than you do with a guide dog. Um, because with a white cane, part of it is finding the obstacles. Um, it makes me laugh because I'll, I'll hit something with my white cane. And you're like, <gasps> You know, and I'm like, no, it, it, that's supposed to, I thank you for your concern, but it is supposed to, in fact, do that. Like, <laughs> I now know there's something there instead of finding it with my face. Uh, with a guide dog, you're going around those things so you can go faster. And so when I was on the treadmill, they're like, just see what feels natural. And I was like, and I was like, well, this feels fast, but natural. Like, I don't, I, what's natural, you know? And so when you get to school, they do this thing called judo, which regardless of school or Juno, sorry. Juno is a different thing. <laughs> Juno, where they have you hold on to a harness and they have an instructor walk and they increase their speed and they basically act like a guide dog and see where your speed is. And I was off on my speed a lot. It turned out I wanted to walk much faster mm-hmm. when I had somebody that I trusted guiding me, mm-hmm. which is why they do with an instructor because you're not going to trust a dog right away. And so with that, um, they matched me with a dog that was much faster than what I would have originally gotten. So that's the other component going back to your original question of why they don't tell you is there's that that goes into it. Sometimes the chemistry is not there and it doesn't work or the dog's willing to do this work for an instructor, their trainer that they've built up a rapport with, but when they get assigned somebody new, they don't work. Hmm. Um, and while I was actually at the school, it did happen to a gentleman where the dog was doing everything right, but she didn't pull very hard. And so that was hard for him because he didn't have a good sense of where she was trying to take him. She was really soft and easygoing. Um, so they actually changed his dog after about four days. So, so yeah, they had Fife in mind for me. And the funny thing is, is that when they looked at my profile and the activities I like to do and everything and how much I like to hike in the distances, they're like, there's no way that he actually, and with my height, they're like, there's no way he actually walks at this speed. And so they picked Fife out, but then they had alternatives in case I really did walk as slow as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. that answers your question. Yeah. So uh, another thing with guide dogs is, 
that's really cool is that when you're approaching a street crossing, uh, if you, it's the, it's the one time they call it intelligent disobedience. It's the one time where your dog's allowed to disobey you. Mm -hmm. So if you make a mistake and there's different scenarios, I could provide one here in just a second, but if you try to cross the street and it's not safe, your dog will either, um, a refuse to move if they can already tell it's not safe. Or if you start to step out in the street, cause it is safe. And then a driver blows a stop sign or starts to go, they'll either stop and won't go forward or they'll start to back up. So you go backwards or they'll step in front of you. Um, dogs, each dog has a different approach, but the whole mindset behind that is it's not safe. So they won't cross. And he actually has done it twice. Um, cause there's certain situations like you're really good at reading traffic patterns, but weird things happen. Um, one was I was downtown, um, and there's a crosswalk that's in the middle of the walking mall that splits it in half. And there's a big hill and a bicyclist was coming up and bikes are really hard to hear because of their smaller tires and how fast they go. And if I would have been with my white cane, I a hundred percent would have, I would have stepped out in front of this bicyclist and cause how fast he was going, he or she, I don't know they, I think in their mindset, they didn't want to stop because of the hill and they, to be fair, they may not have even noticed me. They were focused on making up the hill cause it is a steep hill. And if you slow down, good You're luck. Pushing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would have stepped out and I wouldn't have been killed. It was just a bicycle, but it would have hurt a lot. And I told Fife forward and he started to go forward and then hit the brakes and stopped. Totally saved me from getting nailed by that bike. Another one was by Pita Pit. The car, one of the things that I go off of is with Helena, there's <laughs> winter so long, there's sand and gravel all the time. Um, they come through the street sweepers, but you know, it, a lot of times there's still some gravel. And so you can hear the car start to slow down. And so he started to slow down and I was like, okay, he's going to stop. And I started to tell Fife to go and step forward. Well, he did a rolling stop. He like stopped and then went. And again, with my white cane, I would have stepped out and gotten hit by this guy. And somebody came out of Peter at the same time and told me that basically what it was, was the person was looking down at their phone and just didn't even notice that I was there. So Fife again, did his intelligent disobedience and stopped and mm -hmm. kept me safe. So that's another cool feature of guide dogs. That's very cool. Yeah, that's that's huge. Dogs are so cool. And so I think down the road, when you know, heaven forbid, but the day comes that Fife's no longer with us. Yes. Would you get bumped right back to the top of the guide dogs list because you're an alumni of their program, or are you stuck at square <laughs> zero again, going all the way through it? That's a really good question because most of the time, what happens is. Guide dogs do what they call as retirement. So, um, strange things happen. Dogs get cancer and things like that. But even then, a lot of times there's, they know that you have X amount of time, roughly. And so what they do is they retire dogs and they put you on the list early. So most dogs have an eight to 10 year working career. So that would mean that they usually retire somewhere between 10 and 12. After retirement, they go on to be either just your pet dog and they get to just enjoy the remainder of their life um, doing pet dog things or um, 
And that's not to say Fike doesn't get to do those things um, that when his harness is off, he gets to be a goofball um, <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, but anyways, they, they retire your dog, and while you're you work your dog up until you get matched again. Um, oh, okay. So you you don't really get bumped to the top of the list, but they they just kind of put you on the list. They early. kind of plan for you and know yes. you're coming. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then when they have their match, you go get your dog. Your dog retires, and you can either a choose to keep your dog, um, your retired dog, or b you can choose to place it with someone like a family or a friend member that you trust, or if you don't have either of those situations available to you, because that does happen. Sometimes people live in apartments and their family lives in an apartment. And they already have a dog and you can only have one or you're not allowed dogs. Um, once he's retired, he, um, once he's retired, he loses his privileges as a guide dog. Mm-hmm. So if you're not allowed a dog in your apartment, unless your landlord's willing to work with you, they don't have to. So there's people at that point, what they do is they get the dog back to their school and they have a ridiculously long waiting list of people who oh, I can want imagine. to take the dog <laughs> or they can go back to the puppy raiser because sometimes the puppy raisers are, you know, yeah. want the dog back because yeah. oh, they okay. build up that year of a relationship with them. So they're more than happy. Sometimes. Awesome. So, um, so yeah, roundabout way and more information than you asked for, but yes, that is what happens. And if your dog passes, um, early and unexpectedly they really do try to work with you and get you a dog as quickly as possible oh that's great because you're also grieving and all those things yes yeah yeah kind of a double Mm -hmm. yeah definitely awesome cool well i think we've covered about everything is there anything (laughs) else you want to visit about or Um, put a plug in for or anything (laughs) like that while you're here (laughs) um i would just say that you know amazing whether it's guide dogs for the blind or another guide dog school they're all driven off of donations um so you know if that's in something in your heart or something you can do then that's it's great it goes to really great cause it's the one of the most direct ways you can help people they're nonprofits. all of them are nonprofits. Um, at least all the guide dog schools, there's other specialty schools that aren't, but, um, also again, if you know, you are starting to lose your vision, go ahead and get your name on blind and low vision services list. They want to help you. They just, it's a hard field. There's not a whole lot of people trained in the field and you know, funding's just kind of tight sometimes. And so get your name on that list. You can always cancel. Um, also pick up an association for the blind and talk to them, pick both, talk to just talk to somebody. Um, it helps. And also, I guess, just know that whether it's blindness or any other disability or a chronic disease, it, your life's not over. It may feel like it at that time, but with time and acceptance and training and working through things, and it's going to be hard. Um, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess things up. Uh, you know, if you're blind or have mobility issues, you might burn yourself on the stove, you know, but you, you learn, you know, I, I cook, um, I clean, my wife might say not great, but, <laughs> but, um, but that's just more cause my personality than anything and you being a classic guy. Um, but I know I wakeboard, I backpack, I, hike, I kayak, I go to my kids' sporting events, you know, I 
there's specialty things that you can buy. I um, play soccer with my kids with a ball that has bells in it. I play basketball mm. with my kids that has a bell in it. There's beepers you can attach to things so you know where the hoop is or the goal is. Um, the nice thing is, is at this point, there's been enough brave, determined, ingenuitive people with disabilities that I guarantee you, whatever you're wanting to do at this point, you're not going to be the first one trying to do it. I know people who mountain that rock climb, um, out in the wilderness that are blind. Um, there's people who water ski that are wheelchair users. I mean, it just, there, if there's a will, there's a way and your life's not over. You just need to find how to go about it. Mm. So that, I guess that's all I would say in parting. I love it. That's, that's great. A whole new, yeah. Just a different aspect on life. Yes. Different, different flavor of life. Yes. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for everything, Jacob. We definitely appreciate your time and yeah. coming in today. Yeah. Great. Thank you to Jacob for sharing his amazing story and journey with us. And thanks to Fife for sharing his time as well. If you would like any information or more information on anything you heard in this podcast series, please visit our website at talkinghealthinthe406.mt.gov. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Health in the 406, where we're one community under the big sky. Until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.